Welcome to Wildwood College Life of Wildwood Community Church in Norman. We are four following Jesus together to the glory of God. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for Bible teaching, breakfast, and fellowship, and would love to see you there this week. Follow us on Instagram at Wildwood College for more information. And with that, let's dive into this week's message. Okay, good morning. Hey, it's great to be with everybody this morning. We are going to be continuing a series that started last week where we're talking about our relationships with different things. And today we're going to be talking about our relationship with work and the idea of work. But before I get started, I would be remiss if I did not start by sharing a picture of my family. This is my family. My son's doing his first D-NOW weekend this year. And as you can see, we have two redheads, which is one of the more surprising and shocking parts of my life. And my, my wife and I look a little bit different, but love my children. They're, they're 12 and 9 right now. And Heather and I are just about to have been married 21 years. So met as college students at OU, and she's been the love of my life ever since. Okay, so let's, let's start here. By, we'll go to the next slide. Um, We're talking today about our relationship with work, and work is a huge part of our life. In fact, if you think about and look at a pie chart of your hours and how they're going to be spent from the ages of, say, 22 to 62, a ton of it will go towards work. So obviously, the way that we think about this and the way that we interface with it and how it impacts the way that we view God and how we connect with Him it's going to be a huge part of actually walking with God as an adult. Right now, you're all paying a lot of money, or hopefully you're on scholarships and it's not that much money, but you're you're paying a lot of money to prepare yourself for the workplace and getting a job. So it's on everybody's minds, and it's a big part of what we're doing, even when we're not working, is kind of preparing for work. So that's what we're going to talk about today. I want to start by sharing my story, which is very atypical. So I went to OU and uh, I discovered finance while I was at OU and I'd always done pretty well in school, but I had never done as well at anything as I did at finance. And so it became, I, I became a believer in college, had a real massive life change halfway through college. And so it seemed obvious to me that God wanted to use me in the finance world and that maybe I'd be able to make a bunch of money and give it away towards kingdom causes, and that seemed like the plan for me. And then a funny thing happened along the way. My fifth year in school, I felt called into full-time ministry for a year. And, but I thought, you know, I'm going to do this for a year. It makes sense for a lot of different reasons. I feel like this is what God's calling me to, and then I'm going to go and I'm going to work in finance. But a year turned into two years, turned into 10. I spent from 22 to about 31 just working with college students and in full-time college ministry. And so by the time I got to 30, I was finally okay with the idea that I would probably not work in the business world. And then ironically, right at that point, God involved me in starting a business that got very successful, very quickly, more successful than we could have imagined, and I felt like God called me into the business world. And that's where I've been for the last 11 or 12 years. About eight years ago, I started a company called Simple Modern, and that's what I do now, is I'm the CEO of Simple Modern. And I've just had a really atypical career arc. And and what I've learned is that nobody really has a typical career arc anymore. 
the, the statistics say that the average person is going to hold like eight jobs over their adult life, right? And so, but I definitely know this, if you were just drawing it up and you're like, I think God's called me to be an entrepreneur, what's the most logical thing to do right out of college? Going into full-time vocational ministry would not have been at the top of your list. So, before we launch in, here are two things that I hope can come out of today's talk for you. One is, I hope that you can see some of the principles that God really clearly lays out about the way that he wants work, what's his think about work, and he wants work to interface with our lives. And number two, I hope that you can practically see how the anxiety, the uncertainty, the stress that we can feel when it comes to how we think about what's ahead in our careers, that when we have a proper perspective of God and what he wants to do in our life, that that can melt away. That's what we're going to look at today. So I'll pray for us real quick and we'll get started. Father, this is a topic that is in all of our minds and all of our hearts. As people that follow you, we want you to use us. We want you to be at work in our life. But it can be very confusing how you want that to look and what you want us to do. God, we pray that you would help us at a heart level to really absorb your wisdom and your principles. But more than that, God, I pray that you would help us take those things and apply them in our lives. And that by applying them in our lives, we would trust you more. Pray you would do that. Pray you'd speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Well, so as I said, we're going we're gonna to talk about some principles that the Bible clearly lays out in terms of just the framework. How do we think about work? And the first one is that we, you, I, we were created to work. Now, there's a lot of psychological evidence. They've done studies that it's important that we have something to work on, but why? Why is it so deep-wired inside of us? If we look... At the first sentence in the Bible, what is God doing? God is creating. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God is creating. God is working. In the opening words of the Bible. And we keep going. God creates everything. And at the end of creating everything, he creates man and women, men and women. And he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the, of the air and the uh, birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God does all of this creating, all of this work. He creates Adam. He creates Eve. And then what does he tell them to do? You should work. You should be a part of creating and organizing in the way that I am. And it makes sense, right? That if the Bible opens with a creator, God who is about work, then he would create beings in his image that are also about creating and organizing through work. And that's exactly 
what the Bible says. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You will have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the ground, and to everything that has the breath of life, I have given green plant for food. And it was so. He's like, I've given you this stuff for farming. I have given you this stuff to go and organize the world and to be creators and workers the way that I am. This is at the very beginning of the Bible. So we are all made in God's image. And we were made for work because this is what God is about. God doesn't just create a universe of randomness. He takes it and he forms it into meaning and purpose. It's, it's amazing if you read some of the research out there about the very specific conditions that would have to exist for life on earth to get to this point. How a million different variables had to be just so, and that is the kind of God we were created by, and it is not surprising at all that he creates us for this. That we can have more affluence than ever before in human history. We can have technology that can wash our dishes for us and make our food for us, and, but we can't make things that replace our desire and our need to be engaged in work the way that God has called us to be and the way that he's created us to be. And God looks at all this and he says, this is good. And you're a part of that. This is good. Okay, so that's the first principle. The reason why we all have all this drive, the reason why work is such a big part of our life is because we were created in the image of the ultimate, the ultimate worker. Here's the second principle. Work is hard. It is hard. I have been a part of starting companies that went to zero. Work is hard. I have been a part of conflict at work. Has anybody ever been at a job where you experienced conflict? Anybody ever done that? Right? Has anybody ever worked hard at something for it to just not go well at all, right? And like, as a guy, I, 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 will, I will buy something that needs to be put together with instructions and then I don't read the instructions and then it goes really poorly for me when I try and put it together. It's, it's actually like work is full of challenge and difficulty. Why? Well, not surprisingly, we get that answer in the first pages of the Bible as well. That God says, hey, this is the one thing that is off limits. This is the one thing that is not helpful for you, that is not good for you, and that Adam and Eve together disobey that. And so God says there will be consequences, there will be ramifications of the fact that we have iniquity and that we bend towards sin, and one of those consequences has to do with our work. He says this to Adam. He says, and to Adam he said, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain... You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and you, to dust you shall return. He's basically just saying, I mean, the, the phrase is in there, that there are going to be thorns and thistles. So if you're a farmer, you know, you don't want a ground that's full of thorns and thistles and stickers, right? But there will be. And you don't have to be a farmer 
to experience the thorns and thistles that come with work. The sweat of your face, that you are going to have to work hard, and that sometimes the ground is going to feel like it's full of thorns and thistles. This is just the reality of the world. That unfortunately, when sin entered the world, it fractured the way that everything was going to work. And at the center of that, work is usually actually about working with other people in our context. And so it's obvious why sin would be incredibly destructive to that, right? That if sin creates this fracture in the way that we interact with other people, in the way that we treat other people, then of course it's going to make work more challenging. So you're created by the ultimate worker, by the creator God, in his image, to do work. But because sin is a part of the world and will be until the return of Jesus, it is going to be hard. And there are going to be times when it sucks. And there are going to be thorns and thistles. Okay, third principle. Believers, if you're a believer in Christ, have many different jobs, but one singular mission. This is the point where I'm going to make sure I'm actually recording. Okay, I am. Good. So believers have many different jobs, but one mission. What do I mean? Let's look at a passage. So this is from when Jesus first calls the first disciples in the Gospel of Matthew. And here's what happens. Here's how Matthew describes it. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were what? They were fishermen. And what do fishermen do? They catch fish, right? It's pretty inherent in the name. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So what is interesting about this is I think when we initially read this, it's like, well, Jesus took people that were fishermen that went and caught fish. And he said, I'm going to teach you how to fish for a different type of thing. And now you're going to fish for Men, super interesting. But the other thing that's really interesting is these guys don't give up catching fish also, right? Like if you go to John 21, what are they doing when Jesus appears to them? They're fishing. And the point here is that God is going to call you into work that has kingdom purpose, but those works will look really different. And that he will find ways to use the specifics of what you do and what you're called to, to reach people no matter what it is. Even if it's something as mundane as making water bottles and tumblers. Let's look at the next passage. This is the last thing that Jesus says before leaving the disciples. So we know if these are the last words, these are critical. And he says, now to the eleven disciples, went to Galilee, to the mountain on which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And the argument that I would make, that Scripture clearly lays out, 
is that Jesus says this exact thing to you and to me and to every believer that has ever been, that he calls you to go and make disciples. Go and tell others about what I have done in your life and about what I have done for them. That for all of us, this is the call. But contextually, it will look different, right? The reality is very few, probably, of the people in this room, statistically, will go into full-time ministry. And even if you do, your career is likely to look like mine, where full-time ministry is a part of it. But there are other things that God calls you to. The Great Commission is not for people in full-time ministry, okay? The Great Commission is for every believer. So God calls us to different professions, and we'll talk about this more in a minute. He gifts us in different ways, and yet we have the same capital M mission. And the same capital M mission is that we want to be about reaching men and women, about the souls of men and women. And what's cool is that God gives us in different ways, and he calls us to different things where we can do that in different ways. That when I was, for example, when I was in full-time ministry, I had one particular group of people that I could relate with the most clearly and that I could connect with the most clearly and think about how to share the gospel with them. But now that I'm a CEO of a company, there's these totally different subsets of people that I have a voice and an influence with and an ability to connect with, right? It's just different. I'm situated differently. I'm able to come through a different door with people when I'm talking about Jesus and talking about how my faith is impacting them. So let's do this. Let's have a couple of discussion questions before we jump into the second half. Here's two, two questions I want you to discuss with the people at your table. First, how have you personally experienced the difficulty of work? And it doesn't matter if you've never had a, you know, like a job. We all work, right? That work is not as simple as just like, what is your job that somebody gives you a paycheck for? Like when you're studying for a test, that's work, right? When you're doing chores around the house, that is work. What is a way that you have experienced the thorns and thistles that come with work? Second, have you ever in your life seen an example of a fisherman that was a fisher of men? And what I mean by this is that someone who was called into something that was not overtly spiritual, but used that, their profession and their work in that, to make an impact on people in a spiritual way. Have you seen an example of that? And who, who was it? What stood out to you about them? What kind of an impact did you see that person make? Okay, let's talk about that in our groups for a couple minutes. Let's bring it back up, and we're gonna actually talk about three more principles that I think take this from like the high level and the abstract and make it a lot more personal, a lot more ap applicable to our lives. So here's the fourth principle. Scripture is really clear about this. God wants you to run your race your individual race. It is so easy to look at our giftings, to look at our calling, and to compare. I don't have the impact of that person over there, or that person, man, people think what they're doing is so much more significant than what I'm doing. It is so easy for us to try and determine whether or not we're in God's will by comparing ourselves to other people, and it is impossible to actually answer that question by looking at other people. The only way that we can know if we're inside of God's will is if we're running 
our race, if you're running your race. Let me give you an example of this. Jesus, in the last chapter of John, what did I say the disciples were doing? They were fishing, and Jesus shows up on the shore, and Peter has had this massive fracture, right, with Jesus, where he has denied Jesus. And so Peter sees him from the boat, and Peter's like, I'm not even waiting to bring the boat to shore. He jumps over, you know, he's swimming in. They get to shore. They eat with Jesus, and then Peter and Jesus have a conversation where Jesus really famously asks him three different times, Peter, do you love me? Right? Now, as this conversation is going on, somebody else is watching. Who's watching this conversation go on? John, the author of the gospel. That's how we get it, right? Is that John's able to recount, hey, this is what I see going on. And so as Jesus and Peter are having this conversation where Jesus says, hey, Peter, at one point, it's going to go poorly for you, right? You're going to experience something similar to what I experienced. Peter's like, well, hey, what about him? What about John? Is it going to go bad for John? Like, what's your plan for him? And look at what Jesus says. It says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, and that is John. And he said, Lord, who is that? And he said, Lord, who is it? Wait, where are we, where are we at? We're in... Who is that that is going to betray it? Okay. Uh, I have no idea. That line right there, I have no idea. Let's just go to 21. I'm like, I don't know if there's a crazy copy paste here, but I don't know about this, who is going to betray you. It's like somebody pranked me and put a, a line of scripture that wasn't in there. I do know this passage, and I don't think that that's the question it's asking. Okay, here we go. In 21, it says, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, what about this man? So he's pointing to John. He's like, what about John? And what does Jesus say to him? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Anytime you find yourself looking at other people and trying to like, compare yourself to other people, you know what Jesus wants to say to you? What is that to you? You follow me. What is that to you that they have a gifting in public speaking and you don't? You follow me. What is that to you that other people think what they're doing is more significant? You follow me. Right? Because in the kingdom of God, you know the currency in the kingdom of God is faithfulness. And what is faithfulness? Faithfulness is a willingness to say yes to what God asks you to do. It's a willingness to say, God, whatever you ask me to do, wherever you ask me to go, I say yes. I will follow you. Regardless of circumstances, regardless of how it looks from the outside, regardless of how it compares to the expectations of my parents or of other people, I will follow you. One of the most destructive things that you can do is try to follow Jesus by looking at other people. You follow Jesus by looking at him. By fixing, it says, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We're not distracted looking around at other people or other things, but we are locked in on Jesus and we are saying, whatever you call me to, wherever you want me to go, I will go. Run your own race. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the what? The race set before us that Christ wants you
to run the race with endurance that he has set before you. And your race will be different and individual and will have its own fingerprint that no other person who's ever lived will have that exact race. And so it may not seem significant to you, but God has created one version of your race and you are the one running it and he needs and wants you to run it. The scriptures, by the way, are very clear on this, that the way that we estimate importance and the way that God estimates importance are very different. There's an arrogance, if you think about it, in thinking that we know better than God what's significant and what's important. Your calling, your race, is important because God gave it to you, and God knows far more than you or I do about what matters. And there are countless examples of this, by the way, in history of people who did seemingly mundane things, and then you zoom out and you see the way that God used them in incredibly redemptive ways. Okay, principle number five. He will progressively lead you. In Proverbs 3, 3, 5 through 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. When I showed up at college, I went through Rush. And you know what question? The whole first few weeks of college, I got asked over and over and over again was, somebody louder, what, what do you get asked a ton when you first get to college? What's your major? I haven't been in college in 20-something years, and I know that you still experience the what's your major because it's endemic. It's like being at college, by definition, means once you show up, people are going to start saying, what's your major? Right? And what is the assumption behind that question? That you know. That you have it figured out as a freshman in your second week. Right? Nobody knows. Nobody has it figured out. You know what the single biggest cause of anxiety I see with believers that are in college is? It's anxiety about what am I going to do with my career and not messing it up, not making the wrong choice. Has anybody in this room felt that, that tension? Okay. Here's what I want to tell you. If you're a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You know what that means? That means that your relationship with God is not like a a general and, a, and, and a, a lieutenant that's being sent off to a faraway country and can't communicate for several months or several years. It means that God resides inside of you and he can speak to you on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. And so why does that matter? Why it matters is that you can release all the pressure of making the perfect decision. Because number one, I'm just going to tell you, you, you won't and you can't. And number two, that's not even how this works. You know how calling works? It's we listen to the Lord, we talk to the Lord, we look at our giftings, and we make decisions. And then you know what happens? We keep talking to Him. We keep walking with Him, and He keeps revealing things to us. In your mind, it's easy to get this idea that I'm going to make a decision about my career, and if I get it wrong, it's just I'm going to, my life's going to go on this wrong path, and it's not going to be pleasing to the Lord, and it's going to be this massive disaster. But you know what happens? If you make a decision, and then God wants you somewhere else, you know what He's going to do? He's going to tell you. He will reveal it to you as we walk with him day by day, hour by hour, year by year. He talks to us and he leads us. And so you know what you can do? You can just set down all that anxiety. Because here's what I know. If he wants you somewhere, he's going to tell you. I have a very simple agreement with God. 
and it goes like this. God, I cannot discern. I'm not like the type of person that can look at a cloud and be like, God's clearly calling me to this. You know, like, that's not how I work. I'm, I'm more concrete, I guess, than that. But I'm like, God, if you will make it clear to me what you want me to do, I will do it. And I'm convinced that that's all faithfulness is. If you will make it clear to me where you want me to go, what you want me to do, I will do it. Even if that means I feel like you've called me into this thing and three months later you call me somewhere else, I will say yes to it. And if we have that attitude of, God, I'm talking to you, your spirit lives inside of me, and I am willing to go wherever you call if you will make it clear, then you can lay down all the anxiety about getting it wrong. Because it's on him. His responsibility is to guide, and our responsibility is to say yes. Not to figure it all out. Here's the last one. Work is worship. You will worship through work. You will worship through work. And you will either worship God or you will worship self in some way. Or worship work for the sake of work. This is the critique a lot of people have of American cultures. They'll, they'll say things like, in other parts of the world, you, you work to live. In America, you live to work, right? We can certainly fall off of this and take work from something that is part of our God-given nature and a way that we can worship, and we can turn it into a type of worship where we're worshiping work for work's sake. We don't worship work. We worship what's behind work and who created work. Three verses that are great for this. If we believe that Christ died for us, and in doing that, he gave you a gift, he gave you something you didn't earn, you never will deserve of eternal life, then what do we do? How do we respond? Right? And what does Scripture say? There's only one way. There's only one fitting way that we can respond. Because we can't ever pay it back. We can't ever say, we can't ever earn it. And so what, what Paul says in Romans is he says, this is your act of worship. This is the way that you reciprocate and you show your understanding of what Christ has done for you, that you lay your life down as a living sacrifice. That we take our life and we say, God, I can never pay back what you did for me on the cross, but what I can do is I can submit my life to you and say, do with it what you want to do. And if you lead, I will do that, whatever that is. That's what true worship, that's what true thankfulness looks like. In Colossians, Paul says, whatever you do, whatever it is that God calls you to, do it for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you'll receive your inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. When we work, we tend to work. The way that the world works is I want to impress and please my boss, my master, the person who can give me a raise, the people around me. And Paul says, no. As believers, we work for a different audience. We work for the Lord. And so what that means is that sometimes in your work, God will be exalted and pleased, and it will not look that impressive or that great from the outside. Let me give you an example. The prophets of the Old Testament. Does it go great for them? No. Like the whole, like, if you just follow God, it's going to go great, and he's going to bring wealth and blessing. Like, I don't see that in the Bible. 
A lot of times where people follow what God calls them to, it goes pretty poorly in a worldly sense, but we're also told in a kingdom sense and in a spiritual sense, it was an incredibly pleasing act of worship to the Lord. They were running their race. And so you have to disconnect from the way that other people are going to view your work and say, I'm going to care about how God views my work because that's what matters. And that's the person that I'm laying my life down as a living sacrifice for. That's the race that I want to win. Ephesians 2.10, I think, sums this all up. For we are his, who's his? God's. We are God's workmanship. That word workmanship, right? It, it goes back to Genesis 1. We think about his work and his creation of man. But you know the word that it used for workmanship? In the Greek, it's poema. You are God's poem. You are his creative work of beauty. In you, he expresses the height of what work can be. Not only what it can be, but what he calls us to be a part of. You are God's poema. You're created in Christ Jesus for good works. God didn't just create you once. He created you twice if you're a believer in Christ, right? For all those in Christ are a new creation. So there's this initial creation, and then when we, are, when we come to Christ, there's actually even this new creation of who God creates us to be. And what did he create us for? He created us for good works. He created us to live out being like him in a broken and falling wor fallen world. And that he has good works that he has prepared beforehand for you. So he wants you to walk in the good works he created for you as his poema, as his new creation in Christ. This is what God has for us when it comes to work. And when we follow him and when we're faithful to him and we say, God, I just want you to lead me and I want you to use me, then we know with confidence that we're living a life that's pleasing to him. So I'm going to give two discussion questions. How have you struggled with comparing yourself uh, to the gifting of other people? How has comparison prevented you from running the race that God has for you? And then the second one, what is a concrete way that you can take something from this and apply it to your life? That you can lean on him to guide you and to lead you instead of your own understanding.